Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. Chronic diseases are killing us more than anything now, including war, famine, all that external stuff combined. So basically, what we've figured out to do is actually get your body to produce drugs against those internal targets. We all know about the power of vaccines to prevent infectious diseases, but there's a lesser known application that could change the face of healthcare. Over the next 20 years, I think that we have to go towards healthcare as opposed to sick care and preventing chronic diseases before they become an issue. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. We get to hear from a lot of smart people with incredible ideas on this show, but it's extra exciting when they also have a world-changing vision, and our guest today has just that. Today, we're talking with Mei Mei Hu, CEO and co-founder of Vaccinity, which trades under the symbol VAXX. Mei Mei is also a member of the executive committee of United Biomedical and has overseen the launch of one of the first antibody vaccines in the world and the successful spin-out of five companies, including Vaccinity's IPO in 2021. She currently leads an active pipeline of chronic disease immunotherapeutic candidates, including for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, migraines, hypercholesterolemia, and a variant-inclusive COVID booster. Maymay has been named to the Time 100 Next List, Fortune 40 Under 40, and is a member of the Young Global Leaders of World Economic Forum. She holds a BA from the University of Pennsylvania and a JD from Harvard Law School. We sat down to talk about the fascinating science behind Vaccinity's work and the amazing vision the company has for making these vaccines accessible to the world. Let's enter the arena with Mei Mei Hu. I grew up in biotech household. My mother was a scientist and they had a, a small biotech or research company. And I went as far away from that as possible. I was trained as an economist and then um, later as a lawyer, still recovering from that one. And then, as you mentioned, a management consultant. And really, I was, I was the consummate generalist, probably something very common for my generation, until I found something super passionate that could have a meaningful impact. And it was around the time that I, I had my, my first kid. And so it was something where like your mind just changes and you're like, what I'm doing, you know, I want my kids to be proud of. And so today, you know, I can't think of anything more impactful than saving lives and alleviating unnecessary suffering. And, and that's kind of the genesis of my foray into biotech and, and what's now called Vax or Vaccinity. So much more important than being a consultant, for sure. <laughs> um, 
tell me about the origin of Vaccinity. I know it wasn't like just, hey, we're going to start this company. How did that come together or evolve? And then how did the opportunity come to you? So if I go back to the real origin story, the first ever, you know, endobody vaccine that I helped launch, which was for pig balls. So basically it's an immunocastration vaccine in animal health. And that was the first time that uh, we saw that we could immunize and get an animal, in this case, you know, large swine, uh, to create antibodies against a self-protein. And so from there, we decided, hey, if, if you can do it in, in humans and translate into humans, you have a lot more potential impact. And so that's kind of how the technology made its run into humans. And we pushed our first vaccine into Alzheimer's and then Parkinson's. And that was the predecessor to Vaccinity. We saw a technology that worked, wanted to see if it worked in, in people. And that was uh, about 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think the key there is that a lot of companies go public and they kind of had just formed like this is not some unproven thing. It's been established, you know, well prior to the IPO. Yeah. You know, the technology has definitely been, been very well established. Uh, it has its origins all the way back to like Rockefeller University where uh, I was you know, mentored by a few Nobel laureates. But, you know, we kept under the radar a lot. And really the IPO was one of those stepping stones to basically accelerate where we are. But this technology has been around for a while. It's been commercialized in 3 billion animals. I mean, just think about that. And now in several thousand people. So it's pretty cool. You talked about Vaccinity's mission, which is to democratize health. It's such a big and bold idea. What does that mean exactly? And how is the company kind of positioned to do that? Yeah, so it's our North Star, right? And kids are very important in my life. And sometimes I say that they're my superpower, uh, mostly because it, it guides a lot of what, what I do now. And really, it happened when my oldest son asked me about, it was a story about equality between people. And the truth is, we don't treat people very equally, even though we, we say we do. And medicine's no different, right? Health kind of rhymes with wealth. And you see that in COVID. It's like the wealthiest countries get the stuff first. So really at Vaccinity, what we want to do is make sure that the same quality of health and medicine is available to everyone. Now, missions can be super important, but you need to have the goods to back them up. So thankfully, we have the technology that can really deliver on our mission, which is you take a vaccine approach that's super efficient, and you can generate similar type of efficacy and quality as monoclonals. And that's basically our company in a nutshell. Yeah, and kind of reading about the company, one statement for just a, a layperson, you know, for the first time, chronic diseases are killing us more than infectious diseases, which really seems to create the opening for what you're doing. Maybe uh, go a little deeper on Vaccinity's technology platform. So, you know, we're all pretty familiar with vaccines now, right? I'd say uh, 80% of the world's vaccinated and most of us vaccinate our, our kids. So it's, it's very common. But the idea is that we, we vaccinate and we get our bodies to produce drugs that protect ourselves from lots of diseases, right? Um, like COVID or measles or chickenpox. But as, as you just mentioned, chronic diseases are killing us more than anything now, including war, famine, all that external stuff combined. So basically, what we've figured out to do is 
actually get your body to produce drugs against those internal targets. So those chronic diseases are usually because our body is in some way slowly killing itself, right? Whether we're producing too much cholesterol or we're producing proteins that are killing neurons in the brain in the case of Alzheimer's, but it's never been done before because vaccine technology has always been applied for these external infections. It's not a novel thought. It's just we're one of the first ones and probably the first one to have figured it out and how to do it safely. So, you know, we're super smart. Our bodies are like the immune system is probably the most sophisticated machine in the world. Okay. In fact, we probably understand just a fraction of it. And so as we grow older, our body realizes and it can differentiate between what's a threat like a virus versus what's not a threat, like our own cells. The problem is, is that with chronic diseases, sometimes those own cells become the agents of disease. Now, our body doesn't like to attack itself because that would be autoimmune disease. But at some point, you know, later in the game, we really need to because those are the things that are ultimately killing us. So the reason why vaccines against these chronic diseases have been hard in the past is because our body does not like to attack ourselves or create drugs to do so. And so it has to be tricked. And so I guess the key to our platform is that we figured out how to trick the body to produce drugs against these chronic disease agents. So cool. Maybe talk about some of the chronic diseases that you're targeting and how do you choose, you know, what chronic diseases you're kind of going after? So it's an important strategic decision for, for any company. And really, it's like, how do you triage, right? And so the first thing is, what's the technology capable of? What's the lowest hanging fruit? What's got the most proven development plan or validated target? So, you know, that's the push. What does the science bear? And then on the other hand, uh, we kind of matrix it with what are the most impactful diseases? And we like to go after population health stuff because those are the diseases that impact the most people. So where the science is pretty well known, uh, crossed with the, the diseases that impact the most people or have the most unmet need. And that's kind of how we came across our portfolio. So we have you know, a vaccine against Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. We have a COVID vaccine, which isn't chronic disease, but you know it's a once in a lifetime pandemic. So we felt like we had to get involved. And then more recently, hypercholesteremia. So it's still the number one killer in the world. And the biggest tragedy is that we know how to stop it uh, and it's to lower cholesterol. So we have a, a cholesterol lowering vaccine that's going into the clinic later this year. But that's the long and short of, of how we kind of prioritize. Yeah, so let's just pick one, um, Alzheimer's. How does the vaccine you develop, how does it work with Alzheimer's? And then I know you've got a fast track designation from the FDA in May, which is exciting. Maybe talk about just that one particular case study. Yeah, sure. And today's a pretty pretty incredible day because there's a, another Alzheimer's drug that was just approved by the FDA uh, about an hour ago. Um, it's a drug called lecanemab. It's an antibody against amyloid that slows the progression of Alzheimer's in you know patients with early Alzheimer's. So it's really incredible. What we do is you know mechanistically very similar. So. One of the things that we've discovered about Alzheimer's is that there's something, a protein called amyloid, that our body produces from when we're a very young age. But as we get older, this amyloid also misfolds, and those misfolded versions of amyloid are toxic to the brain, and they begin killing neurons and you know synapses. And through many, many years, decades even, that starts to take a toll and until you start seeing the beginning symptoms of Alzheimer's. So what we do 
is we have a vaccine which, when we introduce to your body, teaches your body to produce antibodies or little drugs against these toxic forms of amyloid. And the idea is the earlier the better, because um, you know these this disease is progressive, and you don't really want to go to the point of no return. But really, the idea is neutralize these toxic amyloid in the brain before they can wreak even further damage. And so the mechanism is a lot like the drug that was approved today, except it makes your body the drug factory. Why does that matter? Because you know when you teach your body to, to be the drug maker, it's more convenient for you. Just you have to take the drug less often, or at least our vaccine less often, and it could be more cost effective. It's very, very interesting. And then obviously you're working in, in all these other target categories. So beyond Alzheimer's, I know you're working on Parkinson's and you've got the support of uh, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which is so cool. How did you hook up with that foundation? Parkinson's is another, you know, massively important neurodegenerative disease and it's progressive. It progresses over many, many years. Yeah, just slowly but surely gets worse. Yeah. It's terrible, just like Alzheimer's. And the Michael J. Fox Foundation is one of the leading research supporters in the field. I mean, they've done an extraordinary job. So they basically see everything that's in Parkinson's and uh, it has the fortune of crossing their desk. So we have a vaccine for Parkinson's. Again, similar concept as our Alzheimer's vaccine. The only difference between Parkinson's and Alzheimer's is that there's probably just a different type of protein that's primarily implicated in the disease. And Michael J. Fox took a keen interest in it, and that's why we're working together on our current clinical trial, as well as some really novel biomarkers to kind of track the progression of the disease. You know, one of the things, Tom, that, that's really difficult about Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, it's, it's hard to track, right? It's like anything having to the brain has so much variability that the whole field is really looking for objective ways. Cholesterol hey, we know what our cholesterol level is. But for brain, it's like so subjective, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Never thought about that. And, and that's a great segue into cholesterol. I've had high cholesterol my whole life. I take a pill every single day. It'd be much more convenient for me if I took a shot of a vaccine every year or however long because uh, my father died of heart disease and you know, it's something that uh, certainly I think about all the time. Yeah. Well, uh, if you don't mind me asking, are you pretty good at taking your, your daily pill? Yeah, I'm, I'm very good at it, actually. I've got a pill box, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, reserved for 85-year-olds, but I'm into it. No, it, it's, it's awesome because uh, you're one of the minority. So here's an interesting stat, right? That of the people that are prescribed statins, less than 50% are compliant one year out. So that means the majority of people are not taking a pill a day. And the problem with that is that in order to be effective, it requires you to take a pill a day. It's just, a, it's a pain, right? You, you have to be reminded of it. You go on vacation, you do whatever, 100%. Yeah. So that's a challenge with those like daily pills. And there's another type of drug for people with high cholesterol, and it's called an antibody. And that's an injection. These injections are about once every two weeks, and they work beautifully. But the problem there is they're super expensive, and most insurances do not reimburse you for those. So this is a situation where you have two types of drugs that are ridiculously effective at lowering cholesterol, but the problem is people are either non-compliant or they can't afford to get the drug. 
Okay. And so that's where the travesty is, right? Like we know how to solve 80% and eliminate 80% of heart disease in the world. We just can't get people to do it. So that's where the vaccine comes in. So imagine having to take, you know, go in while you get your flu shot and instead getting a shot for cholesterol. That's so much more convenient. And for most of the world, it can be much more cost effective as well. So that's what we got to do. That's where the massive unmet need is. You got to have something that's convenient that everyone can get access to and that countries and, you know, payers can afford. And our goal is to then move into a, a real prevention paradigm for getting people on these vaccines early to prevent heart disease from ever becoming a major risk. The prevention paradigm that Vaccinity is pursuing also extends to disabling chronic conditions like migraines. It's a much more widespread and problematic illness than you might think, but the drugs that are currently available are still inaccessible to most sufferers. So migraines are fascinating. It's like uh, one of the biggest disabilities that really isn't talked about. So three out of four people who have migraine are women, and they're mostly between 20 and 45. So very young in prime of life, right? And they're disabling. And it's also, a, it's a progressive disease, right? There are a billion people worldwide that suffer from migraines and 40 million people in the U.S. alone. And of those, there's a, a great percentage that suffer what we call chronic migraines, which is like, imagine having 15 migraines out of the month. It's like one every other day. It's crazy. And so what we do is we have this vaccine. Again, it's following a monoclonal antibody, but it targets something called CGRP, which is implicated in migraine. And by neutralizing that CGRP, you can reduce the incidence of migraines in in uh, migraineurs. It works really well for some people and not well for other people, but for those that it works, it's a fantastic drug. And the problem today is that those CGRP drugs are expensive and they're what we call like later line. So you have to go through all these hoops and CGRP should be the first line, but it's not because it's expensive. So that's where we come in. And uh, our goal is just to basically be the first choice for all migraine sufferers. How do the economics kind of work for you versus the way it is today? How will you be able to do this versus kind of the system today and the way it's set up? Yeah, I think it's always two things. It's one is uh, what, what's your intention, right? What, what's the mission and business model of your, your company? And then two, what can your technology enable? Right. True technological innovation, Tom, I believe, is something that can create a flat playing field. You know, why is the iPhone so important? It's because it put the power of computing and the Internet in every single person's hand. Like, I don't care where you live. You can get a smartphone now, pretty much, or at least billions of people can can afford it. So we see lots of uh, incredible technologies like gene therapies, you know, coming out, but they're not able to be distributed on the masses. And so they're not, in my mind, like truly revolutionary, maybe yet or ever. So technology is one, and I'll, I'll give you an example. So monoclonals, they're usually injectable drugs. Okay, they're the top selling class of drugs in the world today. Seven out of the top 10 selling drugs are monoclonals, and yet less than 1% of the world currently are on them. 
2% of the U.S. are on them, and they account for 40% of our drug spend. So this is a very expensive drug. Why are they expensive? Uh, they're difficult to manufacture, and they require a lot of capital investment in order to even create the facility that makes them. So in the world today, there's probably the capacity to serve maybe 100 million people total off of one drug. So the idea of you know creating monoclonals for the entire world, it just doesn't exist. There's simply not capacity on there. So when you're capacity constrained, what do you have to do? So if you're maximizing profits, you kind of raise your price because you, you can't um, make it up on the volume. So that's one you know, supply constraint on the capacity side. The other, as I was mentioning, is, is just the business model, right? So we have a technology that can scale easily and at low cost. So you know, we're probably less than 1% the cost of a monoclonal to make. And so we have so much more price flexibility where we can, you know, price that makes it affordable to everyone and still make similar, if not better margins. So it's really at the end of the day, technology enabled and then making the conscious decision to say, hey, we're going to take advantage of our technology and make accessibility, first line prevention, our goal. And that's what we've done. Maymay, the you know, the, some of the stuff that we've talked about might be a little bit longer term, but focusing on the shorter term, you certainly have an opportunity with COVID. Where do you stand on, on what you're developing there and how is, it, how is it different? It's an interesting question. And frankly, I think everyone's got COVID fatigue. But, you know, if you, you look realistically at it, there are still countries that are being ravaged by COVID. So, you know, what's different about our vaccine? I think that the major thing is it's an alternative to the leading mRNA vaccines right now because it uses different technology. So uh, we have protein peptide subunit vaccine. It's kind of more gentle on your system and it coaxes these antibodies out. More importantly, it's probably more durable. So it's longer lasting. You know, one of the challenges right now is these vaccines are very short-lived. And so People are almost getting recommended to boost like every quarter. That's not really what vaccines were meant to be, right? We're supposed to do the once a year flu shot, not the once a quarter flu shot. So hopefully our vaccine can, can show longer durability and kind of do a seasonal protection. And then finally, we have this amazing data that shows that we can boost just as well as Pfizer's vaccine and, you know, multifold better than the other technologies out there like AZ and, and Cinefarm. And what that means is that we can vaccinate almost all the world. Like I'd say 80% of the world has been vaccinated by one of those technologies. Um, and so we can boost that. And there's still many countries that we may not think about every day, but where people are suffering and are in need of these vaccines. And so that's really where we're going. I think our motto is like serve the underserved. And with COVID, I think that's more important than in our other areas because uh, there are a lot of people that are forgotten and are unseen, and that's where we want to get to. Totally. Well, you guys went public in, in November 21 through a spinoff. What was that experience like for you, and why do you think it was the right decision for you at that time? If you want the authentic answer, it's like it was very challenging. It was a hard time. You know, going public is never easy. It's hard. It's, you know, it's like another full-time job. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, full-time and a half. And timing-wise, I would say that 
it was probably not the best time to go public because we were, you know, November of 21, which is pretty much the biotech market was crashing. And it was a free fall after that. So, you know, in, in some ways we were lucky because we got to go out, right? Um, and we made it out and it was the right decision for the company uh, because it's, it's bringing us to where we are today. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it was a really challenging time to go out because the, the market just kind of fell out from underneath us and our stock has been battered by it. But, you know, thankfully we're, we're longer term focused on that. I think the point is you have a better balance sheet and it's, uh, it's the beginning of a marathon. You know, it's not a sprint. Certainly there are investors who think on a much shorter term level, but I think people who hang in with you on that marathon will be rewarded in a lot of ways. Making money is one of them, but if if this vision happens, you know, they're gonna be rewarded. They call it psychic income, you know, <laughs> where not only could you make money, but you're doing something great for the world. So the stock will take care of itself if you if you do your jobs. The most important part of going public is uh you know, you've got a balance sheet that can execute the plan, and that that's absolutely key. The second part, at least for shareholders, is investing uh, in the right team, and that's a very hard thing to get right. Maybe you can talk about the leadership group at the company, how you're kind of getting everybody to execute this plan and go to the next level, because that's like everything. Yeah, it's more than I ever thought. It's always the most challenging part, right? Finding great people. We're blessed with with having an extraordinary leadership team. I mean, we're a small company punching way above our weight, doing a lot more things than a similar company our size. And the only way that we can do that is with the team. And the, the number one thing that we look for is passion and alignment with the mission. You know, we grew a lot in COVID, which means that we were recruiting folks from anywhere and all locations. And so we struggle with this remote working as well. And ultimately what we've we found is um, you have to focus on on team and the values and sometimes spend a lot more time on those than one would think and get the gel happening as opposed to just, you know, focus on the work at hand. And so we've done that. And I mean we're doing that. I wouldn't say we're all the way there, but man, we've come a long way. I think really just focusing on the fact that we're partners and to hold each other accountable and to live by our values. That's, you know, we're a bit different, Tom. I mean, like my husband and I, Lou, who's a co-founder, uh, we live in a teepee in the middle of Montana in the summertime and we make all our leadership team come out there and it's literally in the middle of nowhere, no cell phone reception. We have you trapped. Uh, you're going to do all sorts of weird team building events and you're trapped. You're not going anywhere. I want to come. <laughs> that's our, that's our capitalist commune. <laughs> yeah. I love it out there. It's amazing. Back to the team. It's a work in progress. Like building a team is like, you're not done with it ever. You know, you're just building that closeness and that's just an ongoing uh, work in progress. But if you get it right, you can do great things. What trends are you seeing in biotech kind of going into 23 and 24? I hope it's getting better. Really, for me, it's it's keep your heads down and focus on executing and trying to insulate yourself from the macro trends and don't rely on them getting better. I think hoping for the best is never a recipe for success. I think you prepare for the worst, but really focus on executing the most important priorities. So hopefully the markets thaw. 
Hopefully more money comes into biotech from the sidelines. Hopefully there's, there's more M&A action and strategics become more active. These are all things to be seen and we'll keep the, the finger on the pulse. Oh, at this point, only, only the best of the best ideas are getting financed, right? So It's really an opportunity to become better companies. And those are the ones that will survive. I agree. And you know what? You're going to come out the other end of this and you're going to be like, wow, you know, we did it. Like the team's going to be pumped up, you know, you're going to be sharper than maybe otherwise. It makes you really count every penny, really think twice about every priority you have, every initiative you have, and where you're going to put your resources. So you're totally right. Um, my last question, and it's a really big question, if you had a crystal ball, you know, how do you see the management of chronic diseases evolving over the next 10 or 20 years? How do you kind of see this whole thing playing out? Over the next 20 years, I think that we have to go towards healthcare as opposed to sick care and preventing chronic diseases before they become an issue. And today, chronic diseases are treated after you have them with very expensive drugs and with the best drugs going to the very few people. In 20 years, I'd like to see us treating them before they become an issue with accessible drugs that everyone can access and with very low cost therapeutics. And I think vaccines have a transformative role in that transition. We are a David Goliath story and uh, we're equipped with our slingshot. It's great to see people dream big, and that's exactly what Vaccinity is doing. Democratizing healthcare and working towards a prevention paradigm in several categories, that's about as bold a vision as you can have. And if we're going to solve these large-scale health issues, a bold vision is necessary. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, Subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Maymay for sharing Vaccinity's great story. They're a relatively new public company, but they've got the technology, the team, and the balance sheet to make their vision happen. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how things pan out for them down the road. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.